This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry, bringing to you the Short Talk Bulletin, published by the Masonic Service Association of North America every month since 1923. This, the Short Talk Bulletin podcast, is produced in cooperation with the MSA and is made possible with the generous support of a grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota. This is Brother David Kahns of United Lodge No. 8, Brunswick, Maine, and Bethlehem Lodge No. 35, Augusta, Maine. Volume 79, No. 5, May 2001. Investing in Freemasonry by Richard H. Curtis. Brother Curtis is a member and past master of Good Samaritan Lodge, Reading, Massachusetts. He is editor of The Northern Light, the official publication of the Northern Jurisdiction Scottish Rite. This article appeared in the February 2000 Northern Light. The stock market has its ups and downs. On a good day, when the market is up, there are always people who want to join in on the fun, hoping to make a quick profit. On a bad day, the weak hearts want to bail out quickly, fearful that the stock market will continue to fall. Of course, there are those who follow the philosophy that you buy low and sell high. But buying low usually means that you are somewhat optimistic about the future of that particular stock. If shares of Freemasonry were issued today, would you buy into it? Would you consider it a good investment? For the short term? For the long term? What is the future for Freemasonry? Before we determine its future, let's look at its history. Like so many stocks, Freemasonry has seen a series of ups and downs along the way. Since the records of its origin are vague, the logical place to begin is the formation of the first Grand Lodge in England in 1717. Even here, we find limited accounts to get a flavor of the fraternity. We assume that most of the earlier members were tradesmen. What was it that attracted aristocrats? Obviously, they found something worthy of an investment of their time. As the fraternity spread to the American colonies, once again, we see an attraction from a wide range of occupations. What kind of organization was it that appealed to such men as George Washington and Benjamin Franklin? By the 1820s, Freemasonry had incurred the wrath of a number of detractors. Although short-lived, an anti-Masonic political party sprang up. Many lodges folded, while others merely went dark for a period of time. It was a time when one would hardly consider investing in the fraternity with such disarray. And yet the springboard was in place for Freemasonry to bounce back. Adjustments were made. Lodges reopened and new ones were formed. There was something that seemed to be attractive again. And as the country expanded westward, so did the fraternity. The second half of the 19th century produced an outgrowth of new avenues for Masons to explore. Coming onto the scene were the Scottish Rite, York Rite, and Shrine. Throughout the 20th century, new members entering the Scottish Rite tended to parallel the influx into the symbolic lodges. Although the war years limited Masonic activity within most lodges, the aftermath of both World Wars I and II brought forth a burgeoning interest in the fraternity. Unfortunately, the growth from World War I met a brick wall when the stock market crashed in 1929. As the Great Depression wrought havoc throughout the nation, Freemasonry felt its impact. 
there was a definite need for such a fraternity, but financial resources prevented many from considering membership as a viable option. Confidence was building during the 1930s, and once again the fraternity became an attractive investment. The 20th century roller coaster ride, however, hit another dip with World War II, but veterans returning from the war turned the swing in an upward direction. The swing would last throughout the 1950s as Freemasonry reached the height of its popularity. Since the 1960s, the trend has been spiraling downward, but it wasn't until the 1990s that Masons began to realize how severe the drop had become. We are now into a new millennium, and Masonic leaders are scurrying to find solutions for the membership trends. But the problem extends far beyond a nearly 300-year-old fraternity. All civic and fraternal groups are undergoing the same situation. The missing piece of the puzzle can only be found when we are able to solve a much larger question. Where is community spirit today? In our rush to find more leisure time, we have created a world with less time for leisure. Modern conveniences have eased some of our tedious tasks, but we have created even more tasks. In his recent book, Bowling Alone, Robert D. Putnam emphasizes the decline of participation in all civic, social, and fraternal organizations. The title of the book uses the analogy that people may be still bowling, but they are not participating in bowling leagues. Referring generally to all clubs involved in the community, he concludes, Active involvement in clubs and other voluntary associations has collapsed at an astonishing rate. If the current rate of decline were to continue, clubs would become extinct in America within less than 20 years. Expressing concern about the possibility, Putnam offers a number of reasons for the declining interest, including the pressure of time and money, metropolitan sprawl, the electronic media, and the breakdown of the traditional family unit. Although much of this book may leave the reader with the impression there is no hope for civic and fraternal associations in the future, Putnam does shed a ray of light. We desperately need an era of civic inventiveness to create a renewed set of institutions and channels for a reinvigorated civic life that will fit the way we have come to live. As Americans become more passive during the latter part of the 20th century, their active participation dwindled. We sit in front of a television set engrossed in our program, and yet we are apt to find ourselves not communicating with others in the room for fear of missing the electronic message. It would seem obvious that we cannot survive as a society of individuals. We need interaction, and there is strength in numbers. The Internet has placed us in front of an impersonal monitor where we become entranced by an electronic screen that flashes words and graphics before our eyes. As sophisticated as it may become, it cannot replace live social interaction. We frequently hear complaints about the erosion of the moral fiber. Who is going to communicate the message of trust and honesty so necessary in building a stronger community? Will it be a single individual, or will it take a combined effort? If Freemasonry were to eventually fade away, something else would have to come along to take its place. Would its emphasis be on charity? Would it be a philosophical society? Would it become a social club for camaraderie? Would it be something that combines all these elements? Throughout history, 
Freemasonry has evolved and will continue to adjust as it heads into the future. As Putnam concludes, what we create may well look nothing like the institutions of a century ago. The way Masonry adjusts today will have a direct impact on tomorrow's Masonry. The big question is, are we prepared for a major shift and will we accept it? This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry. And this has been the Short Talk Bulletin Podcast, produced in cooperation with the Masonic Service Association of North America for the purpose of providing a common stock of vetted Masonic information to all of the constituent lodges of all of the member jurisdictions, and is made possible through a generous grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota, who have been engaging and inspiring good men who believe in a supreme being to live according to the Masonic tenets of brotherly love, relief, and truth since 1853.